0: were being exploited by the Egyptian government. Um, and the Lord has, lead, has led them out of that. They are in the wilderness. Now they're in Haran, the desert of Iran. That's actually a picture of it. So it's a real life place. And, uh, but, and then, yeah, so the Lord is saying, I want to lead you to the promise. So that's where we're kind of picking up. Uh, they're in the middle of this wandering trip. And there's a lot of scripture to cover tonight. And we're gonna have our friend Shay come up, and she's gonna read some
1: of it. <laughs> yeah! I just
0: pull it off? Huh? Uh, oh yeah, just do that. Okay. So, Kiana, if you can put it up,
1: yeah. I'm just gonna read numbers thirteen, and then I'll have her read. So just thirteen for now? Yeah. Okay. Um, the Lord said to Moses, "Send some men to explore the land." of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the altar of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account: We went into the land to which he sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw, they are Great ups, of great size. We saw the Nephilim in there. We see like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked to the, to the same to them. Okay, I'm gonna have you stay right here, and I'm just gonna make a few quick points. Okay. okay we'll go yeah. Did you do a
0: great job? Yeah. Okay, quick, just some, some quick bullet points about what's going on here. It said earlier, the Lord is leading His people to the promised land. Uh, When the spies or the scouts get to the promised land, they notice it's full of really good things, giant grapes, good land. They see it's overflowing with milk and honey, um, lots of good signs. They also notice that um, there's some big people here, um, you know, intimidating people. And the spies, except for Caleb and Joshua, so out of the twelve, only two do not do this. Uh, they are afraid of the people that they see, and then they embellish how badly the obstacles are. Even saying that some reminded them of Nephilim. Does anybody know what that is? Got a few people, got a few Bible nerds when it comes to spiritual being. Uh Yeah, Nephilim were, as they understood it, uh, rebellious angels who had mated with humans and kind of created these very violent giant people who were serving evil, if that makes sense. So you would be intimidated uh, if you were an Israelite person, and this is a report that you got back. Uh, yes. Yes, and so that is terrifying to them, and they work up thousands of people into uh, a very like fearful, just a fearful response. Okay, now we're gonna read chapter 14. Shay,
1: can you read? Okay. Hmm. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had explored land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only well, we do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Moses talking with God, Said, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunah and jo- Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading the bad report about it. These men, who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land, were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh survived. i will give it up for (laughs)
0: Quick bullet points here. Uh, the ten out of the twelve who spread the embellished report—they convince the majority of the Israelites not to trust God. Uh, they, the majority of the Israelites, in fact, turn against Moses and God, um, and are not on Caleb's side at all. Uh, they are so worked up that they say dramatic things like, "I would rather go back to Egypt, where we were enslaved, than enter this land where the Lord has promised." Uh, that we would be okay. Uh, we have Joshua and Caleb. They were the lone voices listening to and trusting God. Yeah, and the others' lack of trust in God and the rejection of his plan, it's also a rebellion, it delays an entire generation from experiencing the promised land. We also see God mourning before Moses. He forgives the traitors and reveals to them the consequences of their choices because he's not going to force them into something new. What should have been a two-week camping trip turned into a 40-year pit stop. What was right in the ten spies' eyes was to abandon their trust in God. Perfect fear drives out love. I think that's the John is doing a great job, So the first thing I want you guys to take away from this is that God's kingdom is not a democracy. And this has implications for how we view the world around us. Democracy may be the best we can come up with as as humans in a broken world and as broken people, but it's just not what the kingdom of heaven looks like. We don't get to vote on what God wants. We don't see what God wants, and then what we want, and then what our friends want, and then our family want, and our parents want, and then see what the majority is. We count God's vote only. But we don't always seek his vote, do we? We think our thoughts, we sometimes get advice, we weigh our options, and then decide what seems best to us or what's natural to us. And we often discard the crazy, radical voice that says God's way is the way of the cross. We think it sounds too extreme. Surely God wouldn't really ask me to give up the life I think I should have for another one. Everyone tells me that's crazy. But in fact, it doesn't matter what everyone says if the one voice is really God's. And that is the heart of the issue here. And I think, especially us being Western people, we really like uh, the majority and a consensus, and most in power will win. I think because that gives us some idea of control. You know, we've got checks and balances and our government or whatever. But we have to split our understanding of what is good for a world that is fallen and what is good for a kingdom person. Like, could you imagine, imagine, I mean, you know, a lot of us kind of grew up in this idea of churchianity, right? Where a lot of people in Texas are just a Christian because they've, like, gone to church before, but they really can't articulate what that means for their life. And I just want you to think about, like, your standard, typical Dallas Christian, okay? Could you imagine what that person would say about Jesus if he were in charge of their church? It's too hot outside. He made us sit on a hill to listen to his teachings. Oh my gosh, there were zealots at church, there were tax collectors, there were drunks, there were sex workers, there were Gentiles. Like, are you kidding me? What kind of people are allowed here? Um, He refused to answer my question and only gave me parables. I'm taking my business elsewhere. (laughs) (coughs) Told me to leave mother and father behind? Told me to let the dead worry about the dead? me to sell everything that i have told me to take up my cross and to deny myself then i can follow him who does this guy think he is for we are not anything other than good self-righteous american christians americans first church second that's not everybody in here i'm like being for that. okay um, my point being the church is not a democracy and i don't mean a building i mean people, this group of people here. This is not a democracy. The church is meant to follow God. and If that means we don't do what the majority of what the American church does, then that's fine as long as we are following God. The majority of the American church is not a consensus of God's will. It can be a voice that potentially is God's will, but to assume it is just because it's the American church would be um, foolish. We've got to pray and discern and discuss and be people who are intently listening to the Lord's voice. I don't even need to remind you guys to look at the times throughout history where the consensus of the church and politics was objectively terrible. People voted for Hitler. right? Slavery was once legal in this country and a lot of churches backed it up. There's even things now that have been going on. Uh, I won't get too much into it, but some of you have had experiences in the church that were objectively terrible. And those things happen because majority is ruling. And within those majorities, those majorities are ruling with their gut feelings of what is right. And that is the problem with the tent their guts, (laughs) internalize the obstacles, overemphasize the obstacles, and lead an entire generation to wander the wilderness for 40 years. I'm not saying you can't ever trust your gut on something, but a point I want to make is that the voices of our gut feelings are often fickle, temporary, easily influenced. Even if an option that presents itself expresses the will of my desire, or even the group desire, it doesn't mean it should be listened to as the ultimate authority on how we make decisions and live our lives. When we do that, we become the ten. The ten here trusted their gut more than they trusted God. The question here is, who has ultimate authority in my life? There's often these stories in the Old Testament or it's also called the Hebrew Bible where there's one prophet listening to God, one remnant still not bowing the knee to the idols of the culture and they are calling the people to trust God. And sometimes in life the lone voices are wrong but to assume they are wrong automatically is foolish. And here the lone voices are Caleb, much more, much more on display. Joshua as well, but we're going to talk mostly about Caleb. And uh, what we see is that God's lordship, not democracy, rules Caleb's heart. We've got opposing attitudes here. So we've got Caleb and then the ten scouts. Two basic heart orientations here. Caleb has faith. His heart has faith in the Lord to overcome impossible odds especially because the Lord ordained it. He said, I am leading my people to the promised land. And that gives courage that conquers. Versus the 10, whose lack of belief in what God wanted for them, made them think that they must save themselves. That is a very familiar feeling to me. And that is cowardice. Because it fails to take God into account. Can human beings save themselves from evil? Impossible. But if we yield to God's worship over our lives, we are saved. For nothing is impossible with God. That's for Luke. Not this Luke, Luke and Right. So I'm sure he would be like, I agree. Okay. So for the person of faith... Uh, The obstacles here are giants that they see. So there's like real obstacles, giants and fear, but they are temporary for people of faith because God is real. For the disbeliever, obstacles are permanent because God's not real enough. Thus, the key question, the existential question. Is God real to me? Do I believe and act and live as if he was alive? What we also see here is that true freedom is serving Yahweh. We see this most obviously in Caleb. And most of the Israelites from Caleb's generation never quite get the hang of what freedom is all about. They think freedom is milk and honey and that Moses is supposed to get them quickly and comfortably into paradise. Does that sound familiar? Anyone? Sounds, sounds right. Sounds like it's right in my own eyes, you know. But when giants and fears loom on the horizon, their freedom becomes chaos because they distrust God's ability to help them face those giants and danger. Caleb, by contrast, realizes that freedom means to serve Yahweh. The others look around and complain, but uh, but Caleb is saved from complaining and yeah. sin. He looks up and praises the Lord who has set him free from slavery in Egypt. He lives in the same environment as the others, but he views it from God's perspective. Caleb is a man of courage in the midst of profound adversity. (coughs) I'm going to read a scripture from Matthew. Uh, I think a lot of times we are like, oh, this is a nice thing that Jesus says, but... Uh, I think fear gets, into, I fear, feel like fear is an obstacle for us to actually live this way. Mm-hmm. So Matthew 16:24 24-26 says that Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for this, my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So, hard to believe I was once a college student uh, at this very (laughs) university. Um, And, you know, I lived a pretty wild, rebellious life for a while. And when I started to trust God and act on his word that dying to myself was the way to live, that that was true freedom, some crazy stuff started happening. I did not do this on my own. I was empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we are given a choice to act on it. And I mean, a lot of us want to be people that are helpful and make an impact and leave places better than we found it. I think what we really crave is true transformation uh, in ourselves and others, and you cannot, I don't know, use a DIY video on YouTube to transform yourself. <laughs> Habits don't mean crap if it is not based in God's love for you and other people. So, and it's not about looking good, either. Uh, a lot of times it looks really foolish. So, I'm going to tell you guys a story about this girl that I met at Colin a long time ago, and it was crazy. It was really crazy and I um, don't put the text messages up yet though. So basically, I was at Colin College, my apprentice year, Goku. Yeah! And it was after a TNF service, and if you are familiar with how we do things at Colin, we meet in the back of the cafeteria, <laughs> and sometimes people will come up to the vending machine in the middle of the service where Garrett's crying, the ministry does, and they're like, mm-hmm. And like, that's how, I mean, complete foolishness, right? But this is what the Lord gave us. And afterwards we, the staff and some of the students would help us break down the tables, put them all away. And me and my friend Hannah and some students, we were in the upper part of the cafeteria, which is separate from where we meet. And I saw this like tiny, just this tiny, like cute girl. And uh, these two boys who were like leaning in, like talking to her. And I was like, there's just something doesn't seem right. And so I kinda like sat near her to like listen. And my friend was like, hey, are you ready to go? Because of course we were going to games for the after event. And I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> and she was like, what? I was like, hold on, I'll And then I was like, they were taking pictures of her, trying to get her to add them back on Snapchat. She was by herself. It was kind of late. And then I did that thing. I was like, you know what? the holy spirit was, that, was like you gotta you know like maybe you're wrong maybe she knows him and she doesn't care about this but i was like i'm willing to look like an idiot to go and insert myself into this conversation so i walk over there and i'm like i'm like hey girl long time to see." she goes yeah it's been a long time because we didn't actually know each other but we were she was right. like thank you for seeing me and then so my friends start to come over and I was like, yeah, I haven't seen you since that class we have together. Blah blah. blah. And these two guys are like, oh, y'all know each other. And I was like, Hit, yeah. And um, <laughs> and then I was like, so like, how long are you gonna be here, girl? And she was like, oh, my sister's gonna pick me up after eleven. Campus was pretty dead at this time. And I was like, I'm not feel safe leaving room with these guys. And then I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like well. I was like, I just like looked at these guys, I go, y'all need to leave. <laughs> and they were like. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and they were like, oh, we're just friends. I go, actually, you're not her friend, because friends would not do what you're doing to her right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't do that, don't do that. But, but. And then, but then they were like, they were like, I gotta be such a B word. And then they were like hitting my face. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry I was one, but she's actually gonna come with us. And i are
1: like, alright,
0: like talking. So then it's me and like my band of girls and then she's with us and then I was like, Hey, I know you don't know us, we're with this Christian group, we're gonna go to Keynes. Do you wanna have your sister meet us at Keynes? She came with us. Over the next two years, I saw her off and on. Saw her off and on. She thanked us, she was pretty shy, whatever. Years later, she sends me these text messages out of the blue. Can you put them up on the screen? I'll read them to you. So we're going to. I will read it to you. <laughs> Again, you guys read textbooks. You do need. Like, so okay. much. Okay. So I'm going to read it.
1: I'm going to read
0: I'm going to read to you. Okay. She says, hey, this is October 11th, 2019. Right before fall She said, hey, I just wanted to say, how are you doing? I also want to tell you something. In Janu- oh, also, this girl was a Muslim from the Middle East. okay? And uh, she said, in January 2019, I stepped up to the altar and gave my life to Christ. When we met, I was a non-believer, agnostic, from a Muslim family, carrying their beliefs and belief system. We met, and you and a group of very sweet Christian girls came up and made those guys back off who were taking pictures of me, and it left a deep imprint on my heart. So many nice Christian people have come and gone in my life. So many have planted seeds. So many have showed me kindness and patience. Nobody has ever forced me to seek the truth the way I was forced to seek Islam. I have run into not so nice Christians out there, but I've also run into not so nice Muslims. I'm going to keep that memory with me always as well as the ones others have helped me make and I will hold it close to my heart Thank you for planting that seed of kindness and acceptance within me. Um, It made me feel like we were all the same, and I was a child of God as well. I was taught to dislike Christians and to only be nice to the white Muslim converts, but the Holy Spirit has always been within me. It just took the truth to make it come out. I've been meaning to thank you for a while, but I just remembered I found you on Facebook. (laughs) This is three years after it happened. she said, keep planting good seeds, they'll always come back, thank you. And then I'm just like immediately weeping when I get this and I send it to my friend Hannah, who's there with me. And then can you go to the next one? And then relax, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and I had told her like, I thought about you and I've always wondered if that meant anything to you. I just didn't know. You don't, you don't always get to know the results of what your planting does. Um, I said, I'm in shock with gratitude, what you told me ministered to me so much, and she says, I'm glad. That's what we're called to do. I'm so happy I found Christ. I'm so happy I found God. It filled that hole in my heart. I was fighting it for so long. I fought back tears, feelings, and emotion every time I heard the word of God. I would deny it, but I finally decided, why not accept it, because it's okay to be vulnerable. That's the only way I can get peace in me and evict the hatred and doubt from my heart. So I fought the enemy that was whispering in my ear. I wish I could describe to you how I felt. It was warm, I felt my sins washed away, I sobbed. She was like, I had to use my husband's shirt as a tissue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when I decided to walk up and she's talking about accepting Christ. Uh, I felt the same way I did when I sat down with you girls and guys, unsure and doubtful. But then as soon as I realized that God loves me, that these people care for me, I felt the same way. I went home and cried that night as well. And I look back and think about every moment like that, and it just amazes me that I was really meant to be part of a big family. We all are. And then she's like, I'm totally typing essays. I'm so sorry. Um, But... A lot of us, I think, fear gets in the way of us initiating with what the Holy Spirit might be asking you to do. I was willing to risk it. I don't know, like, and y'all know me, I, I like get in people's business all the time. But, <laughs> but even then, like, the amount of faith that I had, like, God used it. I was unsure. I didn't know how it was going to work out. Um, and I'm not here to be like, and now I'm always faithful, and never feel cool, and never, you know, ignore God's wishes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you some crazy, powerful things can happen on this campus in the most unlikely places if you are listening to God. Ten years ago, I would have been like, ooh, the fear of that being tense and embarrassing, not doing it. And then moving forward, I mean, a lot, you know, Moving forward on that problem here. Uh, More recently, something I've been working through um, is, you know, sickness. And I have been sick off and on for a few years. It got really bad this last year. And I, it just confronted me with every, to my knowledge, like every, like everything that I was working towards out of a place of, of pride. Does that make sense? You have a lot of time to think when you can't do much. When you have brain fog and you're not allowed to exercise and uh, you're just at home like praying. And if it's a good day you'll go sit outside in the sun like an elderly person outside of an old folks home.
1: <laughs>
0: I get it now. It's
1: awesome. <laughs>
0: okay. But I was like, this is not who I am. This is not the person I thought I would be, right? And I don't know, it just, it confronted me with a lot. And at the same time, I had a friend who was going through some really bad sickness of their own. And I I just, I couldn't even help myself. I couldn't help them. I was like, where's my value in all this? Like, am I even useful to the kingdom? As if God cares about our usefulness. Because if that's the lie we believe in, what does that say to people who are mute? Who are immobile Who are confined to a bed The good news has to be good news For everybody So not just for other people where you're like Oh dang, like, I'm buying into that Like, like God will transform you If you let his love Drive out the fear So yeah, It felt like I was wandering in the wilderness And it really took me a long time And I'm still working through that one There's still days where I just really don't trust God Where I'm like I'm like, no thanks, I want to do things my way because I don't think you will give me what I really want. And there's consequences to that. So I also wanted to share that to be like, I don't have it all figured out, but, uh, you know, I'm praying I'm becoming someone like Caleb. I don't think that made a lot of sense, but whatever. So, but to become someone like Caleb, someone who is truly free from slavery of fear, you must serve Yahweh first, before anybody else. God has emancipated us, right? We sing these songs about I'm no longer a slave to fear. That's from Romans 8. Guys, to look like the world means to be a slave to fear. That is literally how everybody operates as a default on this campus all the time. So we are no longer slaves to fear like they were no longer slaves in Egypt. But when the opportunity came up to trust God, that he would see them through, they chose to be enslaved to fear rather than trust their emancipator. And I'm not saying like, oh, we'll never have fear again. To be brave means that there is fear involved. Otherwise you'd be like, oh no, this is fine. You know what I mean? I'm saying that God must be Lord of us, not fear. Fear. This will require bravery, vulnerability, probably some crime, um, and repentance, honestly. And I can't think of better news for us or the people on our campuses at a time such as this. Perfect fear drives out love, makes you scared of everyone and everything they could ever say or think about you or what they might do if you do the thing. You know what I'm talking about. But. Perfect love drives out fear. Mm-hmm. Perfect love for that girl made me shed any ounce of caring about what I looked like or what she might be thinking about this older white woman walking up to her at nighttime and pretending to know her at Collin College of all places. What? Right? My fear brain would be thinking all that. Oh, what, was, what is she thinking about all that? <laughs> <laughs> But if you're like, oh, like, if you know, you can't just conjure up love out of nowhere. You can't just make it happen. But you can ask God to help you to become a person of love that lives out of love. And I posit this, do not answer, but I posit this, where in your heart are you still a slave to fear? Is it money? Are you still not convinced? that Yahweh's handling of your finances is safer and better for you than your way of handling it? Why? Do you trust that if you save for a winter retreat over the next few months, that God will bless that? Or are you like, oh, I only want to go if there's a guarantee that I'll have an awesome time and have awesome emotional like Jesus experiences. If we do that, we're just greed. We're just spiritually greedy. A consumer for Christ. What about dating? Are you still so sure that your dating life should not be submitted to Yahweh? Do you think your dating life is 100% only about what you want and what you can get away with? Do you believe his way of dating is constricting rather than freeing? Why? What about people-pleasing? Do you really think living for others' affirmation of you is freeing and not crushing? Because people are fickle gods. Do you really think this is the path to security? Why? Everyone close your eyes. But don't fall asleep. <laughs> Imagine for a minute what freedom from those fears would look like. Imagine to be a generous person, to not care (laughs) about if you'll be taken care of if the Lord's asking you to be generous. Um, If the Lord wants to heal your dating life and the way you view other people and the way you approach other people and maybe actually you could be a good date for someone if they ask you out and they might not otherwise have the chance to ask someone out outside of this community. People pleasing? Do you trust that God is going to give you good friends that will withstand the ups and downs of life and our imperfections? That feels like freedom in spite of the imperfections. Okay, you know, feels like relief. But there was a price to their disobedience. Uh, even though the Lord still eventually brought them to the promised land, there was a cost. The price God pays. A lot of times we just think about how it affects us, but there's a cost for God. He has to be in a continued relationship with faulty, rebellious, untrusting people. Ultimate faithfulness. The results for the Israelites—cowardly rejection and failure to seize that crucial, crucial opportunity—was unnecessary years of misery and thousands of de- deaths. Thousands of deaths. Oh. And a lot of times we look at the prodigal son story And we're like, it worked out That's awesome But do we take into account the fact that the father thought his son was dead? Some of you in here have siblings that are living a very wayward life And you are living with the pain that that causes Because you love them And you want so badly for them to just do the right thing Because they are slowly killing themselves and everyone around them. So there's a cost to that. And there is a way for them to come home, right? We want that. We want that for them. Why can't they just do it? So there's a cost. There's a cost on people when you are disobedient to God. Because of faithlessness. Now, there's a spectrum to all that. It's not all the same. I don't feel like hyper on all your choices after this. Um... Yeah, another point here I want to make is that confession without repentance is foolish. So at the end here, I'm going to read the last of our scripture. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely, surely we have sinned. So they're confessing. And now they're like, Oh no, you took away the thing. Like, please give it back to me. And Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up there because the Lord is not with you. They disobeyed. They rebelled. God said, all right, well, I'm removing my blessing on this staff. This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies um, for the uh, Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you, and you will fall fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, who lived in that hill country, came down, attacked them, and beat them down all the way to Hormon. They died. The Israelites arise the next morning... After mourning their fate, confess their sin, which is good, but insist they are ready to go where the Lord is not leading any longer. That is bad. That is confession without repentance. To not continue in sin is the sincerest form of repentance. The Israelites confessing and then insisting they are ready to go where God is unwilling to go shows that they are not cooperating with God. He is no longer leading them there because they rejected and rejected him and rebelled against him. This is another act of rebellion against God. They were too afraid with God on their side; they now boldly go without Him as if they can do it by themselves. And I want to pause it to you that you are going to have major choices in your life like this, where you are not going to consider God. I pray that you remember this and you do it differently. Because there will be consequences to making big decisions without considering God. This is not courageous. It is stupidity. And the ones that go, die. Confession without repentance is deadly. Okay, I hate the end of there, but that's the end. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they did what was white in their own eyes, and that's what happened. But... I think we have Caleb's faithfulness and encouragement, and I think for us we can become people who really intently listen to the Lord and obey the Lord. Okay, I'm going to pray. Lord, you see every single person in here, every single life experience, every every single thought, every single piece of pain, every single desire. Lord, I pray that you would empower each of these people to face you first. Face you tonight to pray about these things. Be mine, okay? <laughs> Lord, I just pray a blessing on these people. I pray that they, I know they're in process of becoming free, and I pray that as they are becoming free. They help to set others free on their campuses and wherever they go. we Amen. Amen. Amen.